Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, for which I'm pleased to offer in return member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to their written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com. When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, he does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, today we're visiting with Jeannie Adams and Nancy Northcott and uh, talking about their book, Christmas on Outcast Station. It is one of their science fiction books in the Outcast Station series where they have companion novellas, an interesting concept. Uh, Jeannie and Nancy team up with Jeannie's novella, The Princess Problem, and Nancy's novella, Scorpions for Christmas, both set on Outcast Station, a backorder posting in the armpit of the terrain colonies in outer space, which we'll learn more about in just a moment. And they're very prolific, too, which we'll talk about as well. Uh, Jeannie and Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Landis. Yeah, so let's first talk about the uh, the two of you. You, uh, Jeannie, you write uh, award-winning romantic suspense, fantasy, paranormal, urban fantasy, and space adventure. That's a lot of words and genres thrown together. Uh, what drew you to these genres and how much you've been doing it and how long you've been writing them? Well, I've been writing for a long time. Uh, I've been published since 2008. Um, mostly what drew me to the genres, though, is I can't seem to write a story without blood on the pavement and a, some sort of an adventure. So I like to read it, so I like to write it. So what's the difference in romantic suspense and fantasy, paranormal and urban fan? Just, you know, define this stuff for us, if you would, please. Well, if you're going romantic suspense, for instance, uh, that means the suspense is 50% of the story and the romance is 50% of the story and both are interwoven. And if it's a romance, it has to have a happily ever after. Okay. Urban fantasy, not so much. Doesn't necessarily have to have a happily ever after, uh, but it has to have some sort of an urban setting and also be an action adventure. Um, paranormal romantic suspense, which is what you see behind me in The Witch's Walk, that again has to have the paranormal elements, the suspense elements, that's 50% and then 50% romance. Again, has to have a happily ever after. The fun thing about what Nancy and I do though is it's space adventure and we can just let it rip. Yeah, I was going to say, Nancy, uh, your childhood ambition I think you told me was to grow up and become Wonder Woman. So how'd that work out for you? Yeah, that didn't work out so well for me. I realized long about 
the end of elementary school that I did not have the right gene pool to grow up and become Wonder Woman. You also you also became a lawyer and you, and you went to Davidson, two things that uh, we have in common. But you said you mothballed your law license several years ago to become a novelist. And uh, I'm just wondering how you found the writing world compared to the practice of law. Well, one big difference is you go to a cocktail party in the writing world and nobody's talking about the legal cases they handled that week because people in science fiction and fantasy circles and in writing circles in general tend to talk about what movies they've seen lately and what TV show was great and, oh, have you read this book? So I think lawyers talk about the law because they all have that in common. You know, it's it's everybody. If you go to the county bar association meeting, everybody knows who the judges are. Everybody knows the various cases, and so that tends to be the the common thread, or it did when I was practicing in conversation. Whereas um, in the in writer circles, what people have in common are books and stories, and so that opens a wider range of commonality. I think for conversation. Yeah, let's just be honest there, Nancy. Lawyers just don't know what to do at a cocktail party, right? So they just <laughs> talk about the law. No, okay. Anyway, uh, so Jeannie, back to you for a second. Uh, one of the things uh, that I saw in your bio says you know about how to get rid of the bodies. Uh, I need you to explain that, please. <laughs> <laughs> I teach a class on body disposal for writers because I spent 13 years in the funeral and cemetery business. Ah, okay. So that, that background sort of finds its way into your work. It does. And you you also teach uh, with Nancy something called How to Write a Fight Scene. Is that, did I get that right? Yeah. You did. And there's some fight scenes, I think, uh, you know, in this outer space uh, dramas that you're doing. Now, you're both, you, you've traditionally an indie published, uh, Jeannie, uh, I assume the traditional came first and then you kind of branched out into the indie yeah. world. Is that was that, your, was that your path? Yes, that was my path. I sold my first suspense to Kensington Zebra in 2008 and then subsequently decided that I would go indie when it, when my editor passed away. Yeah. We're going to be talking about some different things in the writing life segment, but you're both uh, well into the indie uh, environment, the world. Nancy, um, in addition to writing the outcast station science fiction series with uh, Gene, you're the author of historical fantasy, uh, the Boar King's honor trilogy, the Art Ned Files Romantic Suspense Series and the Lethal Web's Romantic Spy Adventures. Did I get that right? You did. Okay. And I've also written um, Paranormal Romantic Suspense. I started out traditionally published uh, with um, Grand Central Hachette and then branched out into the others and went indie. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of things. And like Jeannie said, I write what I like to read. Sounds like y'all's cocktail parties would be more interesting. <laughs> a lot of interesting uh, kind of bizarre stories. Okay. Okay. Before we get under the covers with this book, let's talk about how the two of you met. Let's start. Uh, let's see, Jeannie, you want to tell that real quickly? How did the two of y'all come in contact with each other? We were both finalists in a contest, a national contest that was put on by Romance Writers of America. That contest is now no longer existing, but it was uh, at the time quite uh, prominent, and we were both finalists in 2006. And a group of us from that finalist pool created a blog, and that's how Nancy and I got to know each other and 20 other wonderful romance writers. So y'all were blogging to try to just stay connected to each other and what you're writing and and spread the word. Promote each other's books. Yeah. Promote yeah. other people's books that we liked. 
Now, Nancy, tell us uh, how you and uh, Jenny came up with this idea to write a com- set of companion novellas set in deep space. Well, we had just been to RavenCon, which is in Williamsburg in, in April every year, although unfortunately not this year. And we had been to a space opera panel that we had both enjoyed a lot. And that had started both of us thinking, although neither of us knew it at the time. And we were talking on the phone one day and I said to her, you know, I've been thinking about trying my hand at space opera. And she said, really? Me too. We do it together. And so we came up with, we spent a lot of time on the phone and thank goodness for unlimited minutes um, coming up with this world and then um, came up with the stories that we would do. And it just happens that in Jeannie's first two, she focuses on the on the station more, and I focus more on the planet. And so we've each kind of taken the lead in developing our particular spheres of the world, but it's definitely a shared playground. It sounds like a really fun project uh, because writing sometimes can be a lonely endeavor, but this project sounds like, you know, you can get on the phone, you can compare notes and, oh, that's a good, yeah, let's work there. And is that kind of how y'all work together when you were doing this? Yeah. And we sometimes get together in person and shape out more of the world and uh, create more characters, decide who's going to use what characters. Good. Well, before we get under the covers, let's talk about the book cover itself. We've got uh, Christmas on Outcast Station. We're going to be having Christmas in July here with this uh, podcast release. Uh, what are we looking at here on uh, on this book cover? Because our listeners can't see it. This is audio. Tell us uh one of you take this question, if you would. Well, this in the in the cover, and I'm just you can see the space station in the distance, in the the orbiting the planet, and then there's a spaceship approaching the planet, um, which itself is kind of backlit. The space station was done for us by our cover artist Lindsay Llewellyn based off a chart that Jeannie had done. I mean, you, you give Jeannie a concept and the next thing you know, there are charts and diagrams. And so it's like, oh, wow, I don't have to think about that. I just have to use this. And so that's basically what's on the book cover. It's not especially a Christmassy book cover. It's more of an outer spacey book cover. Jeannie, did, did I get everything or you want to add anything? No, you did. There might be maps too. <laughs> Yeah, well, you do have the the green, as you said, uh, lights there and the red lights. So that adds a little Christmas flavor to it. Um, all right, look, uh, are the two of you ready to now get under the covers? Sure. Sure. If you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners. You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, we will give you a free ebook written by me, the first book in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Okay, we're uh, we're now going to dive into this uh, this book here, Christmas on Outcast Station. We've got two novellas. We're going to start. Uh, Jeannie, tell us the title of your story. The title of my story is called The Princess Problem. All right, and a little bit about uh, the protagonist in that story, if you would. The protagonist is the station, the Outcast Station, orbiting satellite Outcast Station's chief marshal. And he is uh, a career 
Marshall. He likes his station. He doesn't mind being in the middle of nowhere. Keeps things quiet. Uh, describe, uh, the, describe the surroundings a little bit. Talk about the space station, what, what, we're, what, well, what environment a, we're in. This is a space station that there's talk that they may actually mothball it. So it's not a thriving place. It's not defunct yet, but it's not thriving either. So it's sort of like one of those neighborhoods that's kind of going to seed. And uh, he love he still loves it though. So, all right. So a little bit about what's at stake uh, in this particular story. A little bit about the conflict, uh, who the bad guys are, maybe without giving too much away. Well, the conflict is that a young lady is coming through the station to. Uh, uh, be transported back home to her planet. She is now the ruling monarch because everybody else has died. And so she, she had been orphaned by a plague the previous year, which appears in Welcome to Outcast Station. And so they're coming to pick her up and she's now going to be the queen, except some people want to kill her. Okay. So, Welcome to Outcast Station, the first uh, novella in, in involves a, a plague. That's a nice welcome to the to the series. Let's have a plague. Sounds well, my kinda... story in that book is called The Accidental Plague. Oh, The Accidental Plague. Okay. Well, great. Well, this this world uh, that y'all have described here so far, I think you've put it, it's a, it's a place where careers go to die. And uh, you've mentioned uh, Chief Station Marshal Brad Carruthers. Uh, He's got problems in what y'all call topside, protecting this young princess who's about to be crowned queen and where Federated Colonies Deputy Marshal Hank Tremaine, that's uh, Nancy, your character, has his hands full on the planet below. Tell us about uh, Hank Tremaine, Nancy. Well, Hank landed on Outcast Station because he crossed the wrong person. And even more unfortunately for him, his new boss is a buddy of the boss that he crossed. And so... When there is a case that looks like it might go sideways, Hank gets assigned to it because his boss is looking for an opportunity to bust his career. Hmm. So he's on, been on Outcast Station when the story opens a few months. Um, the story in Welcome to Outcast Station, the new badge was about Hank's arrival on the planet, kind of sets up the characters and their dynamics. But there is a neighboring star empire of Scorpioid people called the Drakens. And Hank has always been fascinated by the Drakens and thought, well, this is my chance to learn something about them. But he's about to learn more than he wanted to because a member of a Draken spaceship crew has been murdered and a priceless artifact has been stolen. And the Scorpions don't like people very much in the first place. And now there is a treaty for an ore that's critical to faster than light drive production in this part of the galaxy at stake. The ore is in the Scorpion territory, and the humans need that treaty in order to keep producing their FTL drives economically. So if Hank doesn't find the killer and recover the artifact, a lot of things are going to blow up. Yeah, well, this sounds like a very friendly environment, <laughs> Outcast Station. Lots lots of stuff going on, lots of different. So let's talk about the setting for a second. Jeannie, where is Outcast Station, and how do we get there from Earth? Well, it's in the outer reaches of the galaxy. Uh, it is on the edge of known space. Uh, obviously, we know that the Draken Empire is beyond that. But the way the series is set up is there are stations st- around the edge of the galaxy. 
and some thrive and some don't. And mm. outcastation is one that has not thrived very well. Um, and hence the careers go to die there. Um, mm. But I don't know how long we decided it would take to get from inner the inner part of the solar system to outcastation. Did we ever decide that, Nancy? We never did. We we did decide that communications take a really long time so that actual travel of people would take even longer, but we never really nailed that down. All right. So Nancy, uh, we've heard a little bit about the space station, about the, the planet itself. Um, I get the sense that it's, uh, can be a, a barren place except for little townships and so forth. Cause you talk about the outback in, in your story that I read. It's not so much barren in the sense of things don't grow there as the terrain is difficult, so a limited range of things do grow there. There are different forms of native wildlife and vegetation. There are no indigenous peoples, so that's a requirement of the Terran colonies. If there is indigenous sentient life, you can't settle there. So there's none of that, but there are little isolated settlements and we took the phrase outback from Australian usage because one of our former blog mates is Australian. And it, to us, it's like out what we would say in the South, they're out in the country, essentially. And so there are demeans scattered around with powerful landowners, wealthy landowners. And then there are little towns kind of on the main continent. The southern continent, we haven't done a whole lot with. I think we said there was mining there, Jeannie, is that? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And so essentially we set it up to prose the most challenges possible to our characters. Yeah, and you've got uh, different forms of technology. they got a little flitter, I think, that you fly around on or move around on when you're down below. And then up top you've got, uh, I don't know, I'm thinking little Star Trek things. They hold, they communicate with each other. Uh, Tell us about the the different technology. Uh, Jeannie, you can start with that. Well, I posited that they would have personal communication devices. And uh, it's much like we do cell phones. It's like a purse com, but it's obviously much more powerful for utilization on a space station, much more interconnected with the station system. And everybody has one. And they're, of course, official issue for the deputy marshals. Within the station, there's a lot of technology. I mean, there's hydroponics, there's air handling systems, there's ways to keep places shut down or opened up. So we played a lot with the technology in terms of forward thinking what we use today to to what might be use on use on a sta- space station far in the future. Yeah, and you, um, how far in the future is this anyway? Do we know? We figured about 500 years, I think. Yeah, that's what we said. Okay, and and the different beings that are out there, uh, I see a lot of different beings in Genie yours, and also, of course, Nancy, you've got the the scorpions, but um, tell us about uh, some of the different types of, you know, terrestrials that we have there. And you talk about the scorpioids and the felinoids, I think. Uh, What what else we got? (laughs) Jeannie, tell them about, um, I'm blanking on his name, the Pertard, the little kid. Yeah. <laughs> they're I lizard people. <laughs> yeah, lizard people. They're, yeah. They're, uh, I I had so much stinking fun with this. <laughs> Nancy teases me because I, every time she turned around, I was creating some new kind of creature. <laughs> yeah. 
one of the uh, species on the space station, one of the orphans, is a is a lizard creature, and they have like a ruff and a long tail, and uh, they can climb anything. And yeah. so, uh, and they can go anywhere. I'm not going to give anything away, but uh, go anywhere. So, and there, uh, yeah, there are furred ones and winged ones and scaled ones and. And in the in the first uh, of the two, which I think is Jenny's story, you know, Christmas uh, came in pretty heavily, and I think you both refer, if I'm remembering correctly, to the fisherman, which I assume we're referring to as Jesus. Uh, that's the Christian religion. You have other religions that you sprinkle through the through it as well, but apparently they don't wear a cross anymore. Five hundred years from now, they wear some other kind of symbol. Is that right, Jenny? Yeah, yeah. that's the way I did it. <laughs> that's the way you did it. Uh, but they're singing carols. Uh, they, they've been changed a little bit, but they're close to what the Christmas carols are, right, that we know today. Yeah. Yeah. You'll um, recognize them. We'll recognize them. All right. Well, look, let's do this. Let's uh, just do a little read from each of you, and then we'll do some writing life questions. And uh, let's start with, uh, we'll just go in the order that the novellas appear uh, in the book, uh, Christmas on Outcast Station, starting uh, Jenny, with you, this comes from the very beginning of your book, The Princess Problem. So anytime you're ready, just uh, take it away. All right. Thank you very much. They're going to kill her, the scruffy spacer said, rubbing at his bristly chin. Leastways, that's the word on the fly. He shrugged and dropped his hand to his lap. Chief Station Marshal Brad Carruthers automatically tensed. That movement could mean a weapon. But he relaxed just as quickly. The old man never came armed. You in on the deal? Brad asked, adding a grim smile to the question. Nah, the other man said, showing teeth stained pale green with Rua, a stimulant many spacers used. I don't take to no murder, especially not of some kid. Smuggling ain't so bad, but killing's out. There's too many ghosts in space as it is. He looked troubled for a minute and shuddered lightly before he shifted to the edge of the booth where they sat. I'm off. See you on another run, eh? Evidently. Princess Dickerian Halton, a 14-year-old orphan, thanks to the previous summer's accidental plague, was going to be murdered on his station. Brad was not going to let that happen, not on his watch. He slipped a higher-range credit into his hand, shook the other man's beefy paw, and nodded. See you then. Stay safe on the star paths. You watch your back, swordsman, the old man said, palming the credit without a blank. He'd known Brad long enough to use his nickname, which was why Brad paid him well. The old man had been coming to outcast stations since before Brad docked. Always do, Brad replied. He watched the man leave on the strings, the loud bar that catered to spacers and those who did a bit of commerce under the table. It operated round the clock and was never empty. Fortunately, Brad no longer needed to carry the short, viciously sharp, flexible sword that had given rise to that nickname. He was a long way away from his home planet in his early days as a marshal on the Kikau Penal Station. He only brought it out now to train and keep his skills sharp, but he still had a few bouts for fun with spacers who knew the sword. Sometimes he missed the sword-carrying days, but not today. Another patron slipped into the booth opposite him. Got some info for you, Marshal. Brad readied another credit, heard another rumor. It confirmed his opinion that the accidental plague, which had killed dozens without regard to race, age, or planet of origin, continued to be a serious pain in his ass five months later. Yeah, and that's because uh, the orphans that are left over are coming up to the station. Um, they're all from sort of different colonies, uh, worlds, and uh, he's got to protect them until until this uh, 
group comes to try to claim their queen who doesn't really want to be a queen because she's 14 years old, right? Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. All right, Nancy. So we're going to shift now to the planet itself. And uh, you've got a scene here. Uh, we've met the protagonist. Uh, he has gotten a call. He's got to go investigate something. And he is out there looking into something uh, might be a murder. Let's uh, Let's pick it up whenever you're ready. Okay. Well, this is Hank Tremaine, who we were discussing earlier, and he is with two um, members of the security for the spaceport, one of whom is a felinoid genie invented, and the other one of whom is a humanoid woman. So that's who we're talking about here. The trio walked past the last row of landing bays between an empty bay and a long, low shed and turned into the space behind the shed. As predicted, floodlights lit the space between the fence and the shed, their glare blending with that of the port's perimeter lighting. At least the shed blocked the breeze. A draken lay there, face down since the tail was fully visible, curled to the side, with one forelimb beneath its body and a thick yellow-brown substance that looked like dried fluid at the base of the skull and on the ground beneath it. Only one corner of the face was visible and none of the features. Like all of its species, it would have been about seven feet tall standing. Pictures didn't do their intimidating bulk justice. About 10 feet separated the fence and the shed. The body, with its limbs sprawled, took up almost three quarters of that. The crime scene techs, a man and a woman in martial service khaki trousers and jackets with brown boots and shirts, had already marked several areas near the fence. Glove up, please, the man, an orange-skinned humanoid named Dan Three, requested. He went back to measuring a depression in the grass. Hank and his companions complied. The woman, Scales, was photographing the deceased. The base dock stuck close to the wall and watched where she put her feet. No sign she compromised anything. Our forensic techs supervised, McQueen added. That made sense. The base had a doctor and a forensic technician for dealing with combat deaths. Anything else the city medical examiner would handle. Report, Hank said, staring at the body. One part of his brain steadily compared what he saw to what he had read. The reality was just all around more impressive. Dan Three said, faint impressions like footprints along the fence, not good enough to cast, but we have video. Also some depressions that could have been a drone's landing feed or even a table of some kind. We can cast those when Scales is done here. Hank and the Marines waited for Scales to finish her video record. After a few more minutes, she nodded. Got it. We'll cast these depressions, then get some measurements, but we're done with the area around the body. Hank, DeGranis, and McQueen knelt beside the deceased, Hank on the side nearest the shed. Judging by the yellow blood pattern, he said, I'm guessing a stab wound or a projectile weapon at the base of the skull. The ME will have a better idea on that as well as gender and age. The yellow blood pattern. <laughs> Not the red blood pattern. But no, the yellow because one. scorpions. <laughs> because it's a scorpion. That's right. Uh, that's, that's great. Uh, let's do this real quick. A little bit of writing life before we finish up. Uh, I'd like you to talk just a little bit about the process of collaborating because uh, this sounds like a fun way to to write, particularly maybe uh, you know bounce ideas off other each other. Do you share as you go? Do you plan ahead? How do you do it? Uh, just let's let's free flow that a little bit. Jeannie, you want to start? Well, we do a little bit of both. I mean, we talk a lot about it and and free flow and brainstorm uh, where we want the world to go, what story comes next, and how it how they interweave. Um, as you can tell, I'm an extrovert, so collaborating is just a joy for me, 
and collaborating with one of my best friends is even better. Uh, and Nancy is so creative and comes up with such interesting plots that it's just tremendous fun. Um, we work very well together in terms of making sure that things are logical and sequential and making sure the world's mesh. So if you had some advice, uh, and Nancy, maybe you can take this for uh, writers that have been writing, but they wanted to try something new, try collaborating, what would you suggest they do to try to make something like this work? Well, I think you have to go into it with a no harm, no foul attitude, because you never know how well a collaboration is going to work until you try it. And I've had attempts at collaborating with other people on projects that were not for publication before, and it hasn't always gone smoothly because our styles didn't mesh, the way we looked at things didn't mesh, and so part of it is that Jeannie and I are friends anyway, but it's also that we look at the stories in a very similar way, and if you want to do a collaboration, you really need that, or you're just going to find it very difficult to get a product you're happy with. The other way two people can collaborate, um, which I've done on some some things for fandom, comic book fandom, is that you have one person do the plot and be in charge of the story. And then the other person writes some of the scenes or one of the characters, um, like character X says this, and then the other person provides the actual words of this, how it's expressed and that kind of thing. But this is more of a full-scale collaboration on all fronts. And frankly, I enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. And one of the things is, unlike writing a story together, you're writing two separate stories, but they have some overlapping connections to them, some some similar characters, similar worlds. And so you're kind of in touch with it. Do you use any kind of particular technology to communicate with each other or to, or to do this? Or is it just email and Word docs and whatever? Cell phone? It's pretty much Pretty much good old-fashioned email and telephone. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's, uh, we just got time briefly for uh, what's next for Outcast Station. Uh, what's coming next? We've got this two, two books I'm looking at. We got Welcome to Outcast Station with this accidental plague, which doesn't sound good, and, and Nancy's story that goes along with it, the new badge. And then we got the two in Christmas on Outcast Station. What's next at Outcast Station? Well, I'll be writing a standalone story. Uh, that will advance with the world. And then Nancy will be writing a standalone story. And then we'll go back to a collaboration again. Okay. Any hints about what's coming? Well, in the standalone that I'm writing, we're going to find out that some of the things that have always been assumed about this world are not in fact correct. And that's going to be a really big problem. Mm -hmm. And then the last book in this arc, we're going to try something we've never done before, which is... We've plotted out basically the book, and then before we get ready to do it, we'll plot it in detail, and we're going to write alternating chapters. And we have never tried to do that before, so that's going to be an should be fun experiment. Yeah. Okay. Are you going to edit each other as you go, or you just kind of got to do a? Because normally, when you write a first draft, you would write it all maybe and come back, but uh, y'all are going to be writing alternative, and you're going to be looking at what someone else just wrote. Are you going to be giving feedback, or are you just going to move on? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you had never done it before, right? You know, That's you right. Know, something new. Uh, it sounds be like an that, adventure. It sounds like that world. Well, look, we're out of time. Uh, there, there's going to be uh, links and uh, photos, uh, information, uh, listeners in the show notes uh, about Jeannie and Nancy and, and this 
world that they've created. You can also access their websites where you can find out more about their writing. They're both very prolific. If you, uh, if you want to go to, to some different worlds and escape this, uh, this, pandemic filled world <laughs> that we're in here in the, in the U S uh, you can, you can certainly do that with their writing. Uh, Jeannie um, uh, and Nancy, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us Landis. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written work. Landis will be back next Friday, getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions? You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.